Happy Wednesday, Cairo Sushi fam. We are T minus 20, almost four weeks away from the Cairo Sushi Summit. Better get your tickets now. They are selling out. Uh, one of the keynotes is our one of our sponsors, and thankful to these sponsors that we're able to do stuff like this. Uh, Tucker Max's own book in the box, man. Simon, are you a fan of uh, of, of writing books? Yeah, I like books. You like books? No, like yeah. Most people aren't as smart as my guest and can write their own books, so they have options like book in the box. Now, I know a ton of you chiropractors out there are getting these people messaging you, telling you about how they can publish and all this stuff. Don't go anywhere else but book in a box. Why? Because, number one, it's developed by a guy who developed his own um, genre and is really a, a New York Times bestselling author, Tucker Max. And uh, he just uh, co-wrote the – or he ghostwrote the memoir of Tiffany Haddish, who was seen in Girls Trip, and she's blown up. She's a comedian. Uh, wonderful. But uh, I want to give a shout-out to our Book in the Box sponsors while we get some people on here. I know some people are watching the Boston Celtics game. I know some people are over at Black Diamond Club getting some gold from Sean Dill. Uh, and so uh, it's it's been an interesting last couple of weeks in in in, in Spiz Reekdom world. So we're going to talk about a topic tonight with my guest. First of all, hello to Dr. Simon, the smartest man in tech, Senzin. How are you doing, my man? Oh, you're good. And and you know we say it Senzon, just so Sen- we got it. Senzon. Yeah. Senzon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, so uh, it, it's do do most people mispronounce it? It goes back and forth. Senzon, Senzen. I actually have some cousins out there that are some distant cousins, and they all say it wrong. So, oh, that's good. Okay, so it's not just me. So, not just you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're with Dr. Simon tonight, and we're going to talk about a topic that I think is one of the most interesting in the world, in chiropractic world, that is, is the straight versus mixer debate. Where did it start? Uh, What is a straight? What is a mixer? Should we be battling? We're going to go all down the rabbit holes, and we have nobody better than this band, Simon, who runs uh, the Institute of Chiropractic. We have a link above, and before we dive into this topic, I want my man to give a pitch because you guys got to get in on this uh, if you love philosophy, if you love history, tell us about uh, instituteofchiro.com. Yeah, the Institute Cairo, it's it's really, it was designed for chiropractors to just go further, to understand the history of ideas in chiropractic and develop a foundation to move the profession forward. So when you see things on the internet, you, you see things where people say the things like subluxation is just a historical artifact or there's no evidence for it. This is a place where you can go and learn what the facts are. When you hear people say things like the philosophy of chiropractic was just started because of some legal case in 1907, we could debunk that for you and give you the facts of what really happened and why and and how that became a meme in culture today. So the idea is to give people the skills that they need to have a place where people can interact and really learn and to just get your questions answered and have a deeper root and a deeper foundation and practice for why you do what you do. Awesome, man. Well, let's dive right in, man, because I know this topic's fun for you. Let's start with what is the term mixer and where did it come nomenclature in the chiropractic lexicon? Yeah, well, it's interesting because you know, I've, I've read some stuff where people try to pretend that it never had anything to do with D.D. Palmer. 
And D.D. Palmer is the guy who started using the term. He said, I like my chiropractic straight, basically. Don't mix it. And what he found was, and, and a lot of people don't know this because this is written in a letter to B.J. Palmer way back in like 1903 or something, where D.D. said that he found that patients did better when he only did chiropractic because he started as a magnetic healer and BJ's stepmom liked the magnetic healing. So she would ask him to do some magnetic healing after his her chiropractic adjustment. And clinically he found that the chiropractic adjustment wouldn't hold as well. And it, and the magnetic healing would interfere with the chiropractic so that was his first sort of anecdote for why he didn't want people to mix it. And then he had so many um, students who were medical doctors, homeopaths, osteopaths, magnetic healers. And these guys just wanted to learn. So they learned D.D. Palmer's method. And then they wanted to apply it to whatever else they were doing. So they wanted to mix it with hydrotherapy, naturopathy, the whole spectrum of whatever their latest thing was. And and D.D., he, he didn't want it. He felt like they were kind of diluting what he was doing. So so it started with him, and, and the, bat, the early battles really started back then with his first students. And he found that, you know, they, they just um, – they didn't really care. They didn't care that he coined this phrase, right? That, you know, he had his friend Samuel Weed name chiropractic, right? So these guys started to open their own schools and do their own methods along with what he taught them. And they called all of it chiropractic. So whether they were doing physical therapy or hydrotherapy or giving people enemas or, <laughs> or rectal dilation, which was a big thing back then, they just called it all chiropractic. Do you, do you think this is just human nature? Is just yeah. that we want to do – is it is it just the – and then like we go up to the fast food and it's like do you want fries with that? Is it just human nature, psychology-wise, you think we've always wanted to add more? Because we have a lot of leaders. I mean, Billy DeMoss, uh, no shame, he's going to be at the Cairo Sushi Summit. Uh, he, you know, he, he always says, call me a mixer, call me a rank mixer, if you will, but I'm going to fight for what I think is right. And, and, and I empathize with that. I understand that. And I thought I grew up, you know, when I was growing up, Simon, I thought I grew up in a, in a pretty straight philosophically. I thought, you know, we, this is chiropractic. And, you know, uh, me and my father had our own kind of heated discussions. I, at one point, I called him a rank mixer. <laughs> you know, uh, and we, and we've talked about light. I like I like light. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say I'm a big fan of laser. But but let's let's go kind of go back and forth in today's world. What right. are we? What are we getting wrong in the mixing straight debate? What is it doing for the, I guess, the community of chiropractors? Is it time we end it? I want, because you know the history, and history repeats itself over and over, right? Well, I think it's important for people to get the history straight to begin with, right? Because, I mean, it is what it is. People do what they do today. Chiropractic is defined pretty much in each state based on whatever you can do under your license. So some people think, you know, that's how we can define the profession today. You know, I'm more along the Tom Gilardi line of, you know, a profession is defined by its objective. 
But I think the key is to understand the history. So, so what happened around right before D.D. Palmer died, he had a few like really big students. He had this one guy, um, Gregory, Alva Gregory, who when D.D. left town, we talked about this last time, he got arrested and then he left town and he moved to Oklahoma. And while he was there, he met this guy, Gregory, who was a medical doctor who just got his D.C. degree. And the two of them opened a school together. He got it from one of Didi's old friends. And they signed corporate papers and they started a new corporation and they called it the Palmer Gregory School. And after three months, D.D. Palmer was like, no way, this guy just wants chiropractic to be an adjunct of medicine. And I will have no part of that because it has its own philosophy. It has its own view of disease processes. And he, he didn't want that to get confused with the medical perspective. So that was sort of one line. So he broke with that guy. And that guy kept Didi's name on the school for decades, really. Even after he died, it was still on the corporate papers in the 40s, Palmer's name. But then there was another guy, Howard, who started the National School, which is still around. Mm-hmm. And Howard wrote the Howard Encyclopedia in 1912, which was a two-volume set of every natural method under the sun, from hydrotherapy to enema to massage. He and his students brought physical therapy into chiropractic. So the way I think of it, there's really these three distinct paradigms within chiropractic. The first one is the chiropractic paradigm, which Mm -hmm. is Palmer's method and his worldview right? That adjusting subluxations to release the pressure on the nerves so the body's inherent intelligence could be expressed. And then we've got um, the medical chiropractic paradigm, which was really started by Gregory. And that was, how can we make chiropractic a subset of medicine and merge it with medical philosophy, medical paradigm? And then there was another set, which was, I call it the middle chiropractic paradigm. And that was Howard and his guys. And and their view was more, what can we do to support the chiropractic adjustment that's natural? So these guys Mm -hmm. were naturopaths. So they were like, how can we prep the patient so they could receive the adjustment? How can we change their diet and their health and their physical therapy so they can hold the adjustment? So they're very. Which seems today like where the majority of the profession would fall, I believe. If, yeah, if that, in, the middle, in that middle scope, yeah. Okay, so the middle ground is kind of where everybody always meets. I want to, I want to keep going. This, I want to say hi to some people, yeah, some yeah. people we all know. Uh, and first, thank uh, Dr. Simon Sinzon. I, I, I now I'm all. Whenever everybody corrects me when I say their name wrong, I always freak out. And at this point in time, I go Dan Bay, Dan Bay. We got Dan Bay on here from Close for Cairo. Just don't call me late for dinner. Ching. So we got um, also. I saw David Steinberg. I want to say hi to. We got uh, close for Cairo gangs on. We love the close for Cairo gang. Totally. Uh, they're going to be at uh, at Cairo Sushi Summit as well. I know some people are still over at Black Diamond Club on the uh, Sean Dill Live Dilly Dilly, getting some gold there. Say hi to those folks that might be jumping on. Liam Schubel just came on, president of the IFCO. Hi to him. Um, Okay, so I want to go to where does where does BJ where does BJ fall in the straight mixing? Because this is when it gets it starts getting heated, right? It starts yeah. getting deep. Well that's, well, that's what got really interesting. So BJ he followed the chiropractic paradigm, right? He he was holding a torch, 
And then he started doing his really empirical research in the 1920s where he invented the thermography instrument. Yes. Right? Yes. And he had, a, he had an engineer develop it. And they did research for like a decade on patients to try to see how could they objectively determine where the subluxation was. And first they found that the instruments were way too sensitive. They were just picking up these heat readings all over the spine. So after about eight years, they recreated it and it was less sensitive. And that's how he got to his upper cervical work. But he also found that through x-ray and thermography, he was able to locate the, where the subluxation was through x-ray and then where the nerve interference was through thermography. So he felt with those two indicators, he didn't even need to know the patient's symptoms or their history. He could just find the subluxation, correct it, and let innate intelligence do what it needed to do. So in the 30s, he totally flipped the philosophy on its head, and he said, we don't even need symptoms anymore. So straight became like a whole, it started to change into a more diagnostic approach. It wasn't just whether you're at but, but some people uproared, right? Didn't some oh, people yeah. start calling, B now all of a sudden BJ was a mixer, right? Well, yeah, when he started using instruments, they hated it, yeah. And then when he started to say, I don't need to even take in symptoms, uh, you know, people really freaked out because that was the tradition in chiropractic. You would trace the symptom to the spine and adjust to affect the organ that was being affected. And BJ kind of threw that whole thing out the window. So and then that, that became the tradition in the Palmer School. They still taught symptomatology and they still took in cases in the clinic with medical doctors doing a whole diagnostic workup, but they didn't use that to determine where the subluxation was. And that was a real distinction. So the, the modern straight movement grew out of that. Like Reggie Gold, Tom Gilardi, the, those guys. In the yeah, I want to keep going. This is important to to what Simon has to offer. One of the greatest things you also get to get put into this awesome Facebook group if you do join uh, the Institute for Cairo Institute Cairo, not Institute of. It's right. it's it's a tongue twister a little bit. It's tick tick. It's tick. You made it simple. Um, you get put in this group, and it's cool because Simon, you got. This like lineage or like um, I guess it would be called um, I guess it'd be a graph or a map of all the different philosophers in chiropractic going to Strauss and going to I yes, guess now Chris Kent totally yeah yeah, yeah. so so we, we let's let's fast forward a little bit past BJ's days when BJ passes in I believe the sixties um, the uh, chiropractic and AMA battles are heating up. Uh, more and more, there's a lot more inclusion with the continuing education. So you see all this stuff's going on to legitimize chiropractic, but there's battles going on. Where is the straight mixer stuff going at this point in time? Well, well, in the 70s is when it really came to a head because the, the straights had their own accrediting agency, BJ's ICA, and then the ACA, which was the 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 holders of the mixer genre, they, they were kind of combining the medical paradigm and the middle paradigm. They were kind of holding all that together. They were a much smaller group, but they got their accrediting agency approved by the U.S. Department of Education. The straights tried to get theirs approved also. First, they both put in applications. They both got denied. 
Then they put him in again. They got denied. Then they sat down to meet and try to work something out. And the day after they had a binding arbitration, the, the ACA put their application in again. And it got approved. They were like, oh, yeah, you met what we said you should fix. <laughs> and, then they, and they said, but we'll only allow one per profession. So the ICA, even though they represented 70% of the students in, in the entire profession, their accrediting agency just disappeared. And the ACA, the mixer side of the profession, took over the education policies of the profession. So for the last 50 years, we've been under that reality, like that sort of just shifted things. So the IFCO, which is today the FSCO, or was the FSCO, and today's the IFCO. IFCO. That's when it started. That During that time, the straight started their own accrediting agency called SCASA. And Sherman and Penn Strait and another school in Southern California were the three schools that were kind of making that accrediting agency happen. And that was around till 1988. And it, it got defeated in court, the, the CCE. And the CCE, when they took over, they went to all the states and they said, you need to change your legislation so that only people graduating from CCE schools can get licensed. So they lobbied the situation so that it became the, the law of the land. So, so yeah, that, yeah, this is crazy to me because I was at Berkshire's this year. Oh uh -huh, yeah, yeah. And I got to, I was sitting across from Danny Knowles, who got a uh, phenomenal cannolis uh, from Frankie Hahn, sent to us from New Jersey, who couldn't make it. Danny's and we're, we're enjoying cannoli. And he, and Danny Knowles from Mile High, shout out to Danny Knowles, is is um, telling me a story about how when he was at Sherman. They considered Sid and life to be mixers. And yeah. I'm going, just my, like, dude, my, my brain just splattered all over the Berkshires, like yeah, the, yeah. the lobby. So I'm going, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, well, Tom Gilardi, they sued the CCE, the NBCE, and Sid Williams in federal court. It was one lawsuit, and Sid was named right next to CCE. Oh, yeah. It was. Oh. Because he kind of flipped, and, and he went with the CCE and Gilardi. Now he did it. He did it to save his school. We could we right. could venture to say right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot back there we could talk about maybe in another call. Kind of the deep dark secrets. And, and I've <laughs> I've got a two hour interview with Gilardi up on the site, which was great. We did video. Yeah, that 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 is worth the price of admission for a year yeah. alone. Just, Hands down, one of the best interviews I've ever seen. Yeah, it was good. Last week, I got to speak with Carl Cleveland. It's fun. I like to get these kind of stories, you know, of, of what went down. This is why we love you, Simon. You know I love that dirty stuff. So you, we yeah, can dive yeah. into it anytime you want. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what happened was the Tom and Sid were like head to head. And then Tom did not get CCE accreditation. And for 25 years, Sherman was the only school. So people who went to Sherman, they could only practice in like two or three states. Like, okay. I think it was Michigan, New Jersey, South Carolina or something like that. So that's when I got to Sherman. Danny was just about done. And I got there just after they got their CCE accreditation because CCE changed their policy and allowed schools to dictate what chiropractic was defined as. But you now, still had to learn all the diagnostics and everything that was part of the curriculum. There, there, there's so much debate, uh, and I've heard, and it coming from, 
an insider outsider perspective coming back in and going, okay, so what, what would be, you know, we have our ultra straights, we have the straights, we have uh, the middle ground we talked about, we got the medi prep. Now there's so many little niches and stuff, but it was a little bit simpler, it seemed at, at, at some point in time, I believe. There are some points that some people said if you if you just if you if you didn't do upper cervical, if you did anything below C two, you were a mixer, right? There were certain groups that said that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wide spectrum. And, and really what it came down to, I, I read what the guys at Sherman were writing in the 70s, and they said that the, um, the, the definition of mixer changed for them at that point. It was no longer whether you were bringing in massage or physical therapy. It was were you diagnosing to treat disease or were you analyzing the correct subluxation? To them, that became the new line in the sand. So, what does that mean? Like, I, I, I mean, I, I get it, but let's get let's let's speak to me yeah. like I'm Denzel in, in in Philadelphia. Speak to me like a four year old. Yeah, well, if you're if you're focusing on correcting subluxation so that the body's natural ability to heal can just express itself, then you're not treating symptoms. You're not trying to fix the disease process. And the viewpoint is very different. So instead of saying, all right, somebody has all these signs and symptoms, and we're going to name it as a disease and do what we can to fix it, the viewpoint from the chiropractic paradigm that started with D.D. Palmer was that the body is expressing abnormal function. Mm -hmm. And we need to normalize the system so it could express normal function. So it wasn't about naming a disease process and trying to fix those symptoms. It was about how can we get to the cause of what's putting the system into this abnormal state that's sending it down this road of pathophysiology. Now, I've had this conversation with, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to, to Dwayne Hoskins from Titronics because I said, hey, you know, my grandfather went back to school. I've told this story many times to go because he, he, he felt – I, and this term means more. I, I don't know if this is said as much anymore, as, but his adjustments weren't holding as well as they were in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. So in the 60s, he went back, got his clinicals and masters, or masters in clinical nutrition. My father went to Bridgeport, did the same. And Dwayne made a point. Well, so they went back for the subluxation. So would that fit into that? Does that make sense? What Dwayne said? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, people there's this kind of like there's this weirdness today where people think yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's gotten like even weirder right it's because there's this perspective that people who want to focus on subluxation want to like make everybody else go away and you know that maybe that was the way it was once upon a time i don't know if it was ever really that way yeah the, the real challenge is that people who want to correct, detect, adjust subluxations are being persecuted in some countries right now or yeah. being attacked or are being called into court for because they're not diagnosing and treating disease. Yeah. So, you know, it's, so, I mean, those kind of fine lines of whether someone wants to give you some great nutrition so that your body's even healthier, you know, I think that's, you know, 
It's just a stupid argument right now at this point in time because of the deeper ramifications of what's going on to the base core. That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't think anybody really cares about that too much. There might be a few people, you know. But do you think the straight mixer debate, the battles, have cooled in this era? Is it? What is your perception on it? Yeah, I think so, and, and I think largely because of the, the influence of the CCE. Because it's it 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 made this it made all the education and all the schools pretty much the same. Okay. So, so to get the distinctions like we got in Sherman, even when I was there at Sherman in the '90s, was just after they got their accreditation. So the students who were there ahead of me, they didn't know where they were going to practice. They were it was like a whole different kind of student. All the students there were there because their chiropractor said you must go to Sherman, where today. It's just a cool career path, and you know you're you're getting the influence from your faculty and from the teachers, but it's it's a pretty hard thing to juggle in your mind to understand the difference between um, adjusting to help the pathophysiological process or adjusting to make a pathology go away. Yeah, you know those it, kind of distinctions. I think it's just a matter of people understanding those. I think would make a really big difference. You know, so many times, and this is why I, I want to encourage people to. Um, and my link is my link thing is acting funny. I'm on uh, be live, but you guys can go to institutechiro.com. This is one of the reasons why. Not only because this is awesome. Thank you, John, for saying that. And it's, you can get more of stuff like this every day uh, with Simon Sensen's platform, Sensen's platform. Oh man, do it again, man. Stop it. And uh, if if you if you are encouraged by this stuff. I think the bigger picture is so many people I talked to that said, hey, I'm struggling in practice. Uh, there was two things I didn't get. I didn't get the business side. And there's so many groups and, and organizations out there to help you know. Barbara Eaton's boot camp, Sean Dill, Liam Schubel, Schubel Vision Elite, uh, Cairo Sushi, obviously. There's, um, Danny Knowles has his, his program help you with systems, business, marketing, all this great stuff. Close for Cairo. But the philosophy stuff, there's not a lot for students that are getting out. And this is one of the reasons why if they can get into your program, they can start saying, hey, I never got the philosophy, but now I can get it now. And you're doing so much with the school, Simon. I just, you know, kudos, love you, dude, for doing that. Uh, what's your take on, on what we can do with philosophy today and, and what can we do with your program with philosophy? Yeah, well, well my vision for the program is to have – a group of chiropractors worldwide who have the same base of knowledge, who all understand the history of the ideas, the same facts, the same philosophical understanding. We might disagree with each other, but we'll all have the same exact facts. And that's never happened before because every school has their own twist. The teachers in the schools have their own understanding. A lot of the stuff that they were taught was wrong you know, just historical mistakes, all kinds of weird stuff. So one of the things I'm really doing is pulling out the mistakes, showing people where the literature yeah. has been wrong and how can we correct it? You know, like, like Faulkner's book, it's just like full of all these new ideas and new facts that nobody's ever known before. Yeah. So, so that's the real vision. If, if we all could come to that same basic foundation worldwide, then we're going to have an impact. And we're going to read the literature and see this junk that comes out in some of the journals, talks about the history of ideas, the philosophy, 
and we can all write letters to the editor or get on Facebook and explain to people with real facts what's correct and what's incorrect. And I think that's just a baseline that we all need to have. And then you're, you have more confidence in practice. You're going to be a better practitioner when people challenge you if you know and, and you know that you know. What's your take on, you know, um, I, I, I went to uh, I, I in the New York Government Council, I had a conversation with someone. And, and, and I guess I had heard back in the days that when BJ would uh, see, see practice members or his people, I think he would see maybe some of these people once or twice a year or something like that. We, we talk about PVA and things like this, but one of the things that affects PVA that I see are like a root cause analysis of, of not, see, you know, like I, I believe I'm working with people in our samurai group, man, that have PVAs of like six, eight, ten, and t Tim is working. My father's working with them on communication strategies because the average I think is 12 to 16. It used to be 20, 30. I know insurance has affected that, but what's your take on, philosophy and PVA and, and, and if you could shed some light on what BJ did from a PVA perspective. Well, I think um, he did, he did a very clinical objective analysis tools. So I don't know if he showed the patients, this is your x-ray and this is, this is your, but he, he wasn't always adjusting. It, it, it was, it was checks, right? The, 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 the system was the check, not the adjustment, right? Yeah. The check was it. And then, but they would have people in the clinic and they would get checked every day. So when they, when they were there and then they would get adjusted maybe a few times and then they would get sent back to their practitioner with a guide of, you know, this is what we found and why. And then they would follow up with them after six months or so. They but, were being sent to another chiropractor. So well, most of the people in BJ's clinic were sent. They were the cases that other chiropractors were having trouble with. They were chiropractors' family members, people who were on their deathbed, people who were just really difficult cases. Those would go. BJ created the clinic as like the Mayo Clinic of, of right. So, so that was a different model than like a regular office today. But I think people just need to get, you know, that we're, what chiropractors used to take care of was every kind of case under the sun. Yeah. I mean, I talked to Carl Cleveland last week, and a lot of people know the story about his grandmother, but his grandmother found chiropractic. She was diagnosed in like 1910 or 1909 with diabetes, with gangrenous foot, and her chiropractor adjusted her three times a day, six days a week for like several months. Yeah. Her whole body changed and diabetes disappeared. All the skin got pink and she became a chiropractor and started the Cleveland dynasty. You know, this is, this is what, this is what the event I was at in Steve Tullius and Dr. Dr. Steve Tullius, and Dr. Sean Dill were at and both made the argument, Steve talk, look, we, we, we got to talk about getting sick people well again. This is what BJ was doing. They were they were doing they were getting sick people well. And and Sean made a great point. Like, dude, we're only going 20, 30 miles an hour. We can push this thing to a hundred again. Like, yeah. It, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think the key is for us to really understand what some of those guys were doing. Like, what she would do during the flu epidemic. She had her her son drive her from house to house. And she would go into the houses and adjust the dying patients in 1918, the flu epidemic. And she would tell them, leave the door unlocked so I could just go in, not knock, adjust you on the couch, and then go to the next house. 
And oh, she that's a... in the car. I mean, that was the old model. And, and Jim Drain, he did the same thing with a horse and buggy back in rural Texas. Is there anyone doing this stuff today? Not that I know of quite like that, but I, I bet there are. You know, I've, I've been known to make a house call here and there. <laughs> <laughs> what you got to do? Most mostly, I've done like hospice and newborns, but I but I've been known to show up at people's houses. So, so part of I, I I wasn't deliberately doing this, but I wanted to paint a picture for people because I do really want people. If you guys are just joining us. We're Dr. Simon Senzon, and we are with uh, Institute Institutecairo.com. I want you guys to check this out. Get involved. Try it out for a month at least. The reason I was kind of sneaking that in there, Simon, is. I've been trying to wait, figure a way. How do we pitch this this platform to help them with their business? And I think you're shedding some some color and light on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if people really understand what they did, and I've got videos on there of like old time guys lecturing from Len Fay to Jalay, teaching some of the methods they developed. You know, back in the fifties and the sixties. You know, I've got stuff there with R.J. Watkins that people could watch. So there's lots of other tools, just like, even some technique tools on there that people can get access to. And just some learning content. Like, I've got a two-hour lecture on R.J. Watkins. And he was one of the guys who was just, you know, he was taught by Jim Firth, who wrote Volume 7 of the Green Books. And that was the uh -huh. diagnosis book. So Firth and BJ side by side used to adjust people in the clinic. So the way the students learned was the patients would come in, they would hand the card to BJ about their symptoms, whatever it was. BJ would call out to the students, all right, this person has like an ulcerative colitis. Yeah. What's, what's the vertebra I should be looking at? And then the students would call out, and then BJ would set up on the on the stage and adjust them, and then they'd call the next one up. They called it the pit class. Oh, that's and cool. That's how RJ learned. So he learned watching the sickest cases get well, and and it was a, that was part of the split too back then with the straights and mixers. The mixers saw that and said, you know, how can we diagnose better? How can we fit in with medicine more? People like RJ said. How can we understand the neurophysiology of the miracles that we're seeing every day? So he started studying his ass off and trying to really understand how are these miracles possible? What's going on with the body? Yeah. So that, that's the kind of stuff people today should get excited about, you know, like. Dude. They, people gotta get in. I, we, we ran way over, but I always do with you, man, because it's just I, I, it's it's just you're one of my favorite, if not favorite. It's hard to put every. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I'm gonna tell you, man. I can if, be, I my, if I had my top five for dinner with five with Tristan, Simon would be on 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 uh, top of the reservation guest list with me. Happy uh, I, I want to encourage you guys. Institute of Cairo, uh, institutecairo.com. Uh, sign up for a membership. Do it now. Do it for your practice. Do it for uh, do it for tick. Uh, do it for the future. And better yet, if you could donate, how about this? Uh, it, donate uh, to students out there, especially in those institutions that you know, uh, because of restrictions, aren't getting this information. Uh, what a gift that would be, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you want to do something like that, let me know. We could figure something out. No, so, just buy the membership. Simon's too nice. I'm going to stop him right there. His program's, his program's way undervalued. So don't don't worry. It's worth the investment. We're 
we got to get out of this, the abundance mindset. We got to get back to this stuff. Simon, I love you, my friend. Thank you for giving us some time. Thank you for going down this road. Guys, I want you to go to institutecairo.com. Check out some more. Check out the blog. Sign up for a membership. Give it to a student. Let's help the future of tick out there. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Always great to connect. Come on, brother.